Hey, everybody. Welcome to a study in games podcast. I'm Joe. I'm Brad. I'm Olivia. I'm Robbie. And I'm Tanner. And welcome back. Thanks for joining us this month for our latest uh, podcast. Um, this month, we're talking about Caves of Could, which is developed and published by Freehold Games. Um, and it's a uh, what you call a roguelike uh, with some RPG stuff going on and some old school 1980s graphics. And uh, so we're going to talk a whole bunch about that game. Uh, it's part of our, our theme this season, which is uh, procedurally generated uh, games or procedural generation. And, and that can play out in a bunch of different ways in different games. Um, so we're going to get things started right now with uh, our kind of initial thoughts of the game. Uh, anybody want to jump in there? I just felt like everybody turned and looked at me, even though I mentally did. <laughs> Olivia, um, <laughs> I mentally looked at you. I swear to God, because you've got the it. most hours in this game. I felt it. I felt it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I do really like this game. <laughs> I've played it. I mean, I haven't played it a like ridiculous amount. Um, I mean, relative to the amount of time I've spent in some games. <laughs> Uh, but I'm just really like enchanted by this game. Like I, I've always felt like it was something really unique and interesting, and um, and I was always really captivated by um, by the sort of because because the interesting thing about it and why I believe Joe picked it for um, for this theme is because primarily because because it has like a procedurally generated like not the 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 overworld map isn't, but like the individual maps are. Um, but really, the interesting thing is the procedural histories in the game and sort of how that actually ends up factoring into sort of the actual overall narrative of the game. Um, and yeah, it's always something that I was really, really interested in and mystified by. And, and after spending some more time with the game and playing it more, it's it still hasn't gone away. <laughs> like the sort of be, like like persistent fascination with all the different systems and and this extreme level of simulate like the number of things that are being simulated in the game are is very high which is just really interesting like just about the fact that you know if you have quills on your body because you can do that because you can be like a mutant with like a quill body and you lay on a waterbed the waterbed will pop like <laughs> um and i just love that sort of engaging with systems that pay attention to that many things and even when it doesn't matter, like when it's just fluff, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. um, I just, I absolutely love that about it. Nice. Who else? Um, I can jump in. Um, I, this game was a game of a lot of dichotomies to me. Um, and love and hate was, are, are two of those dichotomies. I love the idea of everything that uh, Olivia just said about it, especially the part about, um, those uh, generated histories and generated stories that come together from just a whole lot of little pieces of data and and little small internal customizations in the game that create this huge, huge, I mean, seemingly infinite set of, uh, of different sort of histories and storylines and, and things like that when you put them all together. Um, and it does it in a way that doesn't make it just nonsense, because I, I think we've probably all played this uh, sim simpler versions of games that do this, uh, where they take just a list of a bunch of things and they throw something from column A, B, and C together. 
and and you end up getting just sort of some nonsense uh nonsense stuff and uh this game creates story really in a really interesting and uh, weird way um and that's um that's just part of one of the dichotomies of how it's so seemingly random but uh or, or it not seemingly random it's very random but yet fluidly together this game is and we can t- i can talk more about some of the other dichotomies that i saw in it as we go along but um but it was also really uh there's a steep 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 learning curve there's no tutorial <laughs> yeah, uh that's, so yeah. that was that was tough uh i think i almost spent as much time looking stuff up about how to do things online as I did actually doing things in the game. Uh, so, um, but again, we can talk more about that stuff uh, as, as we go along too. But yeah, that was my, my, my initial take on it. Yeah. Um, roguelikes typically don't like grab me, uh, you know, and hold my attention very well. Um, they're just kind of like not my thing. Um, but there is something sort of charming about this game, I guess. And I think, I think part of, part of what tickled me so much about it was just the amount of things, like Olivia said, the amount of things that are being, um, simulated and tracked by the game. Um, it, it, I think there are some games that try to do that and I guess it's sort of, um, it, it's annoying. Like it feels like, um, (laughs) (laughs) like, a, you know, like, I mean, I was this kid in, in middle school, but like, you know, those kids that are just like, LOL, it's so random. Um, and, but this like just narrowly avoided that, I guess for me. And I just thought it was, it was charming that they bothered to simulate that amount of things. <laughs> nice. Well, I, I actually obviously picked the game. Oh, wait, Tanner, you go first and then I'll talk. Okay, sure, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so so uh, I think, uh, especially in the context of our theme this season, uh, I think Caves of Cud makes a lot of interesting choices uh, about what should be procedural and what shouldn't be. Um, and I have some thoughts on that, of course, about how well I think those choices work sometimes. Um, but overall, you know, I, uh, I really... Uh, found it easy to get invested in in the world. Like I find the setting really encapsulating, um, and I, I had a a much easier time enjoying the game once I just kind of accepted uh, limited use of save scrubbing. Um, <laughs> you know, like after about the fifteenth character in a row who died, uh, sometimes before even leaving the starting village. Uh, I just decided that, you know what, I'm going to figure out how to, how to survive, uh, a little bit longer. And once I started doing that, I had, uh, a lot more fun, was able to see a lot more of the game. So that was nice. my sort of circumnavigating the, <laughs> the roguelike elements a bit there. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, everything you guys have said matches a, a bunch of my experience too. Um, as you as you all know, I, I'm a big fan of roguelikes and I, I actually, I love, um, I love the stakes of permadeath. Um, that's one of the things I really like, but I also just like, I mean, they're built around the classic kind of RPG kind of D and D model, right. Of like, 
um, you know, you, you get experience, you increase your skills, you increase your attributes and your stats, you get better gear, all of which I find super enjoyable. Um, all while exploring a, every time you play, exploring a brand new setting, right? Um, even though the elements of that setting can be the same, um, it's always full of surprises because of the procedural generation. And so for me, that's, that's really, those are the big pluses of, of roguelikes. But um, I actually, similar to what you described, Tanner, I, I, um, I initially hit a bit of a wall and I think Brad was saying this too. Like, I mean, I died probably seven or eight times uh, before I kind of knuckled under and picked an easier starting character. Um, so I guess there's a, there's a particular type of starting character that's way easier if you're new. And I didn't realize that. And I just wanted to pick the one that I thought was cool. Um, and so that had a big impact on me dying over and over again. Um, but yeah, and once I picked that type, I only died once or twice more before I kind of got on a good run. And so that helped. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot to talk about in terms of procedural generation. And um, I don't know how many people read any of the books in the in the game. There are infinite books. Gibberish. Yeah, but those books, obviously, the actual pages of them are procedurally generated as well. And so it's fun to kind Most of... of them. Most of them, except for the unique ones, but um, <laughs> it's it, it's true one hundred percent of the time, sixty percent of the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated by a bunch of things that that this does, and and I think Brad really nailed it when he said that it, it generates really interesting story. Like, I love going online and reading people's death stories from this game. Mm -hmm. The emergent uh, narrative. Here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's incredible. So anyway, there's there's lots to talk about, but um, yeah, I'm excited for our for our chat. I I do think the first the conversation we might need to have, in addition to maybe describing the game a little bit more, other than that it's a roguelike, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> is, is is that difficulty discussion um, because it's something that I'm really torn about with this game. Um, I I mean most people most of you could probably guess that I tend to gravitate towards games with high difficulty curves because of the sort of, I, I find a lot of satisfaction in the process of, of reaching that level of like competency with games like that. Um, like Monster Hunter and this and like League of Legends and stuff like that. Um, and so, so part of me is like, okay, well I see what they're going for here with this, right? They want to reward the people that actually sit down and like have to learn the game, right? But it what that means is, and and this is also related to the procedural discussion, I think, because and 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 Tanner brought this up, I think, to me initially. But the the fact that and, and it was a problem I noticed too when I was still figuring the game out, which was that, um, so all of the like so all of the sultan's histories and all of the books and all of the lore and all of the towns I meet they have all this really interesting stuff but if I know I might die in 10 seconds I'm not going to spend time oops excuse me time trying to um to like remember which sultan is which and to try and you know do all these things if if you don't feel like that you're going to be in in this 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 seed very long Mm -hmm. um, which that is an interesting element that I'm a little bit torn on. So I'm curious to see what everyone else's thoughts are mm. on that. Yeah. I mean, for, for me personally, I talked about the setting being really encapsulating um, just overall. Uh, like I feel like 
in a different framework, this this setting would would stick in my brain as much as like, you know, any other huge game franchise setting, like you know, the Mass Effect setting or uh, you know, Elder Scrolls. Any of these that have tried to sort of develop their own their own uh, lore and world. Um, to me, like I find this uh, extremely interesting, but you know, um, like Olivia said, I definitely wasn't super interested in the procedurally generated aspect of a given world because I, I just didn't think I was going to have enough time to get invested. Yeah. Uh, and so, so even yeah. for me, like even just some training wheels uh, would mitigate that a lot for me when I was first starting. Because as, as I got to like level 11 or 12 with my like most recent character, that started to change for me a little bit. Like, I feel like I, I am a bit more invested in this, this generated world. Um, but sort of prior to that, I'm like in pure survival mode. Yeah. Um, that was, that was another of the dichotomies that I found is that yeah. I wanted I wanted to be interested in and dig deeply into those generative narrative generated narratives like that. Um, but I also knew that I wasn't going to make it past level two most of the time. And yeah, uh, I died over and over yeah. just doing the same thing, well, which is kind of a testimony to how <laughs> well it's, how well it does random, you know, yeah. it's not the same field every single time. Well, and I mean, a couple of things like, so, I mean, there's a lot going on. So what you're saying, Tanner, what I actually find interesting about this, at least my experience of it is that um, I even, so the latest run I'm on, I got a character all the way to level 22, which is exciting. I'm kind of, I'm hoping I don't die. I but, can't um, imagine. The, um, I, I actually have like, almost all of my interest in the stories is mechanical like in the procedurally generated stuff, it's it's mechanical for me because like what I really care about is that I learned a new secret that, that I can then turn into value as a... So so, I guess my, my experience of the story is way more about what's happening particularly to my character in interaction with other things than it is about like what's like who the Sultan is and what his history... And so that for me is interesting... Um, and then the other thing, and I, I know I'm saying a lot, but the other thing is that, um, like what you're describing, Brad, I think this is a game that's very grindy, um, and I think that's a mm -hmm. like a that's my big complaint is that, like you can't. What I realize is you can level yourself up in the swamps if you just kill things that can't hurt you for like you have to just do, do that for like an hour and a half, and yes. then you, like. <laughs> So, like, you kill the little glowfish, and they can't get out of the water, so... Mm -hmm. If you're starting in Joppa, that's basically the yeah. way you can sort of make yourself stable is do that until you get to, like, level five. Yeah, exactly. And, then, and you have to take it... Because if you just go... If you run and just follow the story, you will die. Yeah. In the very hit. first story encounter. And, and it's yeah, like that in just throws each, you in. Yeah. It, it's like that in between each story step as yep. well. Like, you have to you have to take the time and do that. Yeah. And so, so my big complaint is not so much that it's difficult, but that it's grindy. Um, yeah. I, I do feel like that there's something to be said about like games that feel like that. I, I don't, this sounds like, like wholly negative. It's not completely negative, but games that, that feel too self-important for a, a tutorial. 
Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, and I don't like phrasing it that way, but it's like, why couldn't you do like, but and, and exactly. Actually, so this game has, has been out for a while and it's gone through a lot of updates since even I've been playing it. And I, it's, this is one of those games that I would play for like a, one or two lives, like every six months for the past couple of years. And like, I, you know, so they keep adding stuff, but that's something that they still won't add. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and and they've added stuff like the key mappings, which is great. You can just look at all the things you can do, which is very, very important to know. Yeah. That like, oh, I can wait for X turns. I can wait till I'm healed. I can auto explore. Mm-hmm. I can, you know what I mean? Like, so this key mapping is really important. And they have added, if you go to the menu, there's a little like the most important things I need to know, right? But it's just tucked away in a menu somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no, and so part of me is a little bit like, come on, just make a tutorial rather than making making people look it up on YouTube or whatever. But at the same time, I'm sure they're like, well, these tutorials already exist. They're as good as anything we can make. Yeah. So maybe we should just <laughs> let people find those. Which is, it, it's an interesting design decision, and I don't know if it's partially them being like, we want it to feel retro even to the point of being hostile towards the player because i will say that it is a, a bit hostile towards the player yeah I but at the same so. time players. at the same time though right like if you think about the retro aspect of it right all the games that were made in the 80s came with manuals oh, yeah. and so yes. they they didn't have tutorials because they didn't want to spend all that like that was really expensive to do with a with programming time whereas mm-hmm. it was cheap to do with like paper that you were going to include in the you know, and the reverse is true now, right? Like it's much cheaper to make a tutorial and put it in game than it is to mail somebody a, a manual. But I mean, I get what you're saying, but I, I also think you could argue that like, it literally is just, this is how, if you had bought this game in 1988, this is how it would have looked. Um, yeah. but, but does it, does sticking to that aesthetic warrant uh, how lost characters are, or players are when they first play? I almost I I know there's not a right answer to that. My gut is no. <laughs> like but it's almost like they're I mean they're trying to like have their cake and eat it too because this game couldn't have existed in the eighties. Like you yeah, would need could. you would need to go to your your <laughs> university and link up all of the computers together in order to really make this. It's work. caves of could, not caves of couldn't. <laughs> oh man <laughs> and but that's where a, we are in this episode so they're right, like right, yeah so they're like well it's just like it's like this old school game um except we're doing things the old school games couldn't do and so part yeah. of that to me is including a tutorial yeah i i totally agree and and i'm sure that this is something that they are aware of and that they're purposely you know they, they've made like literally the only thing I can think of is that they expect people to open this game and see the sort of game it is and immediately run and go to the wiki just based on the nature of the type of game it is. Yeah. Um, and it, I, that's the only thing I can really think of, but. Um, yeah. See, so, so my biggest obstacle, cause I, I tried it shortly after Olivia first picked it up uh, a couple of years ago. And the thing that kind of like knocked me out of playing it that first time around was just, Uh, and this is a pet peeve of mine for a lot of games, is if I start and I don't know how to do, like, a basic action, like, I don't know how to open that door or to pick up that item or how to feed myself or how to drink water. (laughs) Um, It took me a long time to learn to equip things. (laughs) Exactly. And so, so I don't need necessarily a whole tutorial that explains, like, you know, every aspect of the game. I just want to know how, like... The, the most 
lowest level intuitive things. And I will... It's the general conceit. Yeah, like the, the game has gotten a lot better about that with, with just sort of hints in the UI because there are little shortcuts like press A for actions now. Uh, and based on what I remember from a few years ago, that wasn't there. So I just kind of like was pressing buttons and running into things and <laughs> die for some reason. And I wasn't even entirely sure. Uh, and so I, I wasn't really uh, hooked. And I, I had a much better time this time around. But I also, you know, was, was spending a lot more time looking up how to get started. Um, yeah. Like, cause even and stuff it, like not, like, so if you look at a weapon, you see a bunch of numbers on it. There's nothing that tells you what those numbers are. Yeah. Right? Like, what does the little arrow mean? What is the, <laughs> and like on armor, what is the, the blue diamond versus the white circle? Like, yeah. They, they're like meaningless symbols. And literally, the only way, like, the way that I figured out what they are was just by Googling it and finding somebody asking that question on the Steam forums. Yep. Yeah. I found so many of those. That's how I, yeah. that's how yeah. I answered that. When it raises, I think, I mean, two related questions for me. Um, and, and I think they're really interesting questions. So one is like, just what's the value of going back to older kind of forms of media? So like, I, I love films, right? And I love watching films and I've watched thousands of them. Um, but I only occasionally watch films from the 1920s because it's just not a really enjoyable, like I'll occasionally watch one because I'm like, oh, that was like a really important film and I need to understand it. And it, so I'll watch it. But Rarely do I watch a film from the 1920s and go, man, that was just like, that just blew me away. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the same is true with, with mechanic, like a related thing is about mechanical fidelity to reality. Cause one of the things that kind of bugs me about this game, and obviously I picked it and I, all in all, I think it's a game that's, that's, you know, I really enjoyed. Um, but so like they, they have this really like physical fidelity to things like how long like poison gas hangs around, right? And mechanically, it's a little bit annoying because I'm like, well, I get it. In the real world, if you exploded a gas grenade, it would take like an hour for the gas to dissipate. <laughs> but mechanically, it just bugs me because I'm like, I can stand here and hit the five on my number pad until enough turns have gone by that this gas is gone. But what's the real benefit of that to a player, right? Like if you're if you're designing something for people to play, you don't necessarily have to design that fidelity in order to, you know, I guess make a point. Um, and so both of those things to me are interesting around this game, like that idea of hist history and earlier forms and what how they value, but also the value of of designing things to be more accurate to reality, um, and and what that does to a player's experience. I, I honestly, so that's something that I, it, it is interesting because I totally like when you put it that way, you put like, why do I have to wait this many turns? Like I, part of me is like, yeah, like absolutely. It just makes it annoying and take longer for no reason. Right. In that particular case. Right. Yeah. And similar sorts of cases. Right. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, I love that they care about those things. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, so I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a patch that happens to the game every Friday. I know it broke. And my they save. add more yeah. stuff like that wow. every single Friday. So like this last time they're like, Oh, we added a new type of gas, ca gas called miasma, yep. which only happens if you evaporate black ooze. Yep. Yep. In, which I don't even know how you evaporate black ooze. <laughs> I, I've only seen black ooze like one time. Yep. 
and like this the fact that they just keep adding these things i just absolutely to me that is like yeah massively why the, i like so 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 i just want to want to talk about um so so we talked about the sort of like 10 different things in like one conversation because there's like so many <laughs> different things about this game that are all related to sort of the aesthetic of it towards the you know in the sort of the elements of procedural generation right those yeah. are sort of the main things that i think we're talking about um so i um to me so i i was i was actually thinking about this a whole lot when thinking about this podcast and what we we're going to talk about um i was trying to decide if to me this game would be so entrancing and interesting if it was made to be like an like a first person 3d like to where if i could like uh -huh. like if it was made with like quote unquote modern graphics right um and i actually think the answer is no i don't feel like it would feel the same like the same sort of experience of I don't even know how to describe exactly what I'm trying to say, but I actually feel like that, that the choice is really meaningful to the atmosphere of the game. Yeah. Well, uh, for one, one thing. Yeah. So super quickly. So there is a lot of um, interesting study about um, the, the relationship between graphics and imagination, right? So mm -hmm. um, the closer we get to text, like reading a book, Right, the more our imaginations are taxed visually to to fill in the information about what's happening to us, mm -hmm. and so I think you what you're saying is dead on that this is essentially like a, a field of text almost. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, our brains have, like have to do a lot of work to, um, you know, to fill all that in and to give that sense of presence of like I'm in this little village. Absolutely, and, and, yeah. and I think that's why the emergent narrative is so powerful in this game, or at least it's a yep. big contributor. Why that plus the high level of simulation right yeah yeah the fact that you can walk and you can slip on a banana peel and then something can come <laughs> and like chop your feet off which is a thing that happened to me by yeah. the way also that i got both of my feet chopped off at some point and, and and just the fact that it's like okay i didn't know my feet could get chopped off yeah like and but the but it can and the game has ways to deal with that problem or the whole the whole mechanics and, and it really becomes a thing once you once you sort of get to the level like 10 to 15 of gameplay in the game uh, diseases are a real problem <laughs> yep. and you really need to know how to deal with them there's these really elaborate ways you have to cure diseases and and just the fact that like as you play the game the sort of the sorts of simulation that you get to see Mm-hmm. Like becomes way more interesting and meaningful, it, but it, all of that, all, all of that though, all of that relies on being able to get over the huge, 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 uh, you know, the the difficulty floor in this. Yeah. Game. Not even difficulty yeah. floor. It, it's just like a, it's a, I guess learning curve. Like you have to sit down and re and realize that you're gonna have to learn this game, right? You mm -hmm. you can't just play the game. You have to learn the game. And that's just a really interesting thing. I mean, in, in some ways, maybe a lot of roguelikes yep. are like that, you know, to where... Not to this extreme, I don't think. Maybe not, I, yeah. I, I mean, just, I haven't just, seen that that level in, a, in other roguelikes. Yeah, but like, so so even thinking about the, another roguelike we played together, Tales of Majayal, right? This reminded me a lot of Tales of Majayal, yeah, actually. Yeah, and I think I even mentioned Caves of Kud in that episode. Yes, <laughs> yes you did. Um, so we have to mention Tales of Bajay on this episode. It just has to happen. Um, but like knowing that, okay, this dungeon has trolls that can do this thing, right? That can 
that can use this ability. Yeah. That knowledge makes a huge difference whether or not you're going to survive. And this game does a lot of that as well. Yeah. Um, well, and it think... also is constantly surprising. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing that killed me over and over again was it took me five or six lives to figure out that going underground was way different than being on the surface. So yeah. I, I more than once stumbled upon an early surface area that had a set of steps. And I was like, sweet, now I can really get some loot. And like yeah. four <laughs> seconds into the like dungeon, I get mauled to death. And I'm just like, what happened? I was just in the meadow. And now I'm like, like but who would this, put this here? By the same like, token, I did a similar thing to that. Um, I went relatively early on and went to the first downstairs, you know, the first stair uh, case that I saw. And that was one of my best games. I got to like level five or six, which was really, really high for me. Mm-hmm. And that because of its because it was so kind of just random, you know, yep. like the things that I ran into when I went down the stairs and the things that you ran into when you went down the stairs were so wildly different. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which is uh, interesting. And, and so, actually, I so. Uh, I, I'm so sorry. I've been talking quite a bit, but just really quickly, I just wanted to note the interesting thing about that is that the game, and I learned this actually while watching one of the developers stream the game and they were talking about it. And they said that the game is sort of designed to be unfair on purpose because they want to surprise people and because they want to put these really weird situations so that you can never, so there's like a constant sense of unease in the game. If there's mm-hmm. one way I would describe the atmosphere, one word to describe the atmosphere of this game, it would be uneasy. And I feel like the fact that you can always like go down a stair and then just see something terrifying is is part of what makes that uh, mm-hmm. a whole thing in this game. Yeah, it's working. <laughs> so I, I guess I interpreted the difficulty slightly differently, but knowing that that's the developer say makes a little bit of sense. But I did I did just want to like tack on one thing to something you said earlier. I'm not sure that you could have this level of simulation that's this um, with this frequency of updates if it had um, higher graphics than what it has right now. That's mm. probably true, yeah. Because because we're it's asking us to use so much of our imagination, they can just sort of, you know, they can add something with a slightly different color variation or something and, and call it a day and it's fine. Whereas if everything was photorealistic 3D, yeah. you know, you're going to expect something to be different. And if one day they decide... You know, well, we're not just going to let you have your, your your feet removed, but also individual toes or whatever. Now you have to actually animate that, you know? Right. Yeah, that's actually a really good point that I didn't think about. You know, because of the sort of ever-expanding level of simulation, the the sort of style... Not to say that the style is, like, low effort or anything, because I honestly think the aesthetic of this game is just really yeah. phenomenal. Like, I absolutely... Like the sound design is absolutely incredible. Like, yeah, the sound I, really I'm cool. obsessed with the soundtrack in this game. Yeah. Um, like the desert, the desert oh uh, music is so unsettling. Like, it's so creepy. With those yeah. crazy horns, and you're just yeah. like, oh my god. And then you, and I don't know if any of you got to the grit gate, Joe. You might have. Uh huh. Um, I love the grit gates. It's like, it's it's never like happy go lucky, but it's like okay, this is clearly a gentle place right this is a safe place you know so they they do a lot of really good stuff with sound design yeah um but in addition to just you know being an interesting aesthetic it's also really important to the type of game they're trying to make i think yeah absolutely the um yeah i mean god there's so much so um 
I, I'm also, I, I thought the musical choices, and in, in fact, I, normally at some point I get really tired of the music in games and I often turn it off. Um, but even, yeah, as far in as I am, because I played about almost 40 hours, like 37 hours in the last month and I had never played the game before. Um, like I still love the little, like in the Joppa area, there's like this kind of like, um, it's almost like a dulcimer. It's so it just, hard to even describe. Yeah, it's and so it's just unique. like this kind of like very peaceful kind of sound. And um, but I just wanted to say a bit more. Tanner mentioned the the actual kind of setting at the beginning, but we haven't really described it. So it's it's post apocalyptic is what I would call it, but not necessarily in a fallout way. I'd say post post apocalyptic. Because yeah, I mean essentially, <laughs> like I mean, I mean that's like un- I'm not being <laughs> like seriously. It's like it's like yeah. like the rise of a new civilization. Exactly. Level yeah. Of, like exactly. So clearly something happened. Like you know the you know maybe there was a nuclear war. Who knows? But but yeah, it's probably ten thousand years later, and everybody's like gone back to using bows and arrows and swords again because they can be made out of iron and and whatnot. And but then and also lasers. But no, so those, but I think the idea is that, that all the kind of idea of the artifact, which is they one of the, them. the fundamental yeah. ideas of the game, which again, to me is really appealing aesthetically, this idea that like, you know, civilization is gone and has been reborn and now we, and mutations, right, are another huge thing. Um, you should play Numenera. There's, <laughs> there's a, <laughs> there was a game in the early 1980s called, uh, late 1970s called Gamma World, which was one of the first games that uh, uh, TSR made after Dungeons and Dragons. They, they did this whole spiel with like different genres and they made Gamma World, which is actually a lot like this. They made a game yeah. called Top Secret, which is where you played like James Bond. Um, do you remember Hill. that one, Brad? Yeah, of course. And yeah. uh, Boot Hill, do you Boot remember? Boot Hill was the yeah, Western. Yeah, which was yeah. the Western one. And they were all basically the same template, but just different genres. And Gamma World had the best, like you could you could get mutations from the start. Anyway, this game reminded me a lot of like a, a digitized version of, of Gamma World. Absolutely. Concept. Yeah. Um, except there aren't any like... Um, I guess the salt hoppers are rabbits, right? Because they're <laughs> intelligent mutated rabbits were one of the mm. one of the key things in uh, in Gamma no, the World. Salt yeah. hoppers are like giant mantises. Oh, yeah, I thought they were I, rabbits. I thought of them as grasshoppers. No, I guess I never yeah, the... they're like giant praying mantises, oh, like horrific rats. mutated. Yeah, bugs. I never read the description. I just looked at the picture. Yeah. And it looked like a rabbit to me. So no, I they are way scary. I guess they, they they're scary regardless of whether or not they're rabbits or bugs. They, they will kill you, but exactly. Um that rabbit's but, dynamite. But I love this setting. And what's funny too is um I I've been uh I, when I was 12 or so I tried to read Dune and I only got through about a chapter and I just wasn't into it. So I'm rereading it now at the same time I've been playing this. And mm-hmm. the comparisons oh, yeah. between the two are really interesting. Like um, well, yeah, anyway. the sort of scarce, the resource scarcity. Yeah, and water being the primary. Bit, yeah. yeah. And, and actually, I actually love, I love, so I we I could guess you about this, just the setting and just talk about details of the setting for probably this entire thing, just because the more you learn about, like, I just love, love all the details of it. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but the uh, the water as a as a currency is so cool. Yeah. Because you have to have enough to survive, right? Yep. But you also, you know, so it's like this, it, it essentially like the whole world runs on a bartering system, but where the most valuable thing is 
you know, the Fresh thing you water. need to drink. Yeah. And, and then it sort of evolved into this massive, like, cultural thing where there's the, um, the water ritual. Yep. Right. Yep. Where, where sharing your water with somebody is like the sacred act. Right. Mm-hmm. And by doing so, you can learn a lot about people. And, and I also and love if- the detail that with robots, you have to do it with oil. Yep. Because that's, yeah, thing that they pay attention to. But it's also interacting with the faction system, right? So yeah. if, if you do a water ritual, then people who are all the affiliates of that of that person, you know, their factions go up and all the people who dislike or hate that person, their factions go down. And obviously it's immediate, which is a little weird, but, but yeah. at the same time, it's such a powerful um, mechanic. Um, I also just really like that. And it took me like so many hours to figure out that the trade goods were much smarter than water as a thing to carry around. Like because they weigh less, <laughs> they weigh yeah. so much less per pound. Yeah. Like, I've I've gotten like to the cost. point to where I just buy all of the really rare like foods, <laughs> like really like a, like the tacos ones. and stuff. Yeah. Like so because they're so much lighter. Because I can spend yeah. like two two thousand water on a taco, and then it's like it's way more valuable. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. So, because I had strange it, fiat currency tacos. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I had a chest. I had a chest with like two thousand ga- like drams of water, and then I was yep. like, "What am I doing here? Like, I can't even carry this anywhere." <laughs> I have a dedicated house that I've just decided is my house on the game, and I just have chests full of water and random stuff. Yeah. Yep. Even, and, and even though I just recently, literally on the stream, I did an hour before this, I learned that you can give items to your companions. Yes. So you can have them carry your crap. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and there's actually for anybody who's going to play beyond the podcast, there's a there's a really nice mod called Clever Girl, and it allows you to do um, like much more with your companions. Like you can oh, you can cool. actually enter their inventory and their equipment, and you can you can equip them with specific oh, gear nice. and um, do it much more like other games where you're like, just get into their business. And, um, mm-hmm. you can also like set generally set, like what happens when they level up, like which stats and skills they ah. should improve and mutations and things. And so, yeah, that mod is super, super cool. Um, Joe, a minute ago, you mentioned, uh, fallout and this, there were elements of this that reminded me of the first two original fallouts yep. uh, uh, the, that were the isometric and mm-hmm. uh, so much about going out in the wilderness, finding these things. So many of the quests, the, the uh, pieces of the quest re- definitely reminded me a lot yeah. about that as well as the setting. Well, yeah. the, the crazy thing too, for me, like um, Olivia, you were talking about the detail. Everybody's just talking about the, like the detail of the simulation and stuff. So mostly in games like fallout, I'm really focused on, like I, I almost always try to play the same kind of character, which is a gun slinging, like a sniper who does tinkering and repairs and and like and that kind of stuff. In this game, I did that tried to kind of get going on that same route, but I suddenly realized at one point that I like I was into cooking. And so like <laughs> the cooking it, is just very like it, satisfying. Well, and game. what's funny for me, like as a play like a player type, is that my whole career as a game player, I've never been interested in cooking. Like it's always seemed like an annoying sidebar to me. Like I, I'm just like I don't want to get into those details. Just give me a stim pack so I can get my hit points back up. And, um, 
But in this game, like all I do now is look for new ingredients and then make experimental recipes. Cause I got, there's like a, a high level cooking skill called carbide, carbide chef. chef. And so, <laughs> so now like every time I get inspired, I can make new recipes on my own and, and they, save them. Yeah. And save them. And they like with different things, I get like these crazy, like I found a recipe with mushrooms that can make it so you don't get diseased. And yep. so I'm like, anyway, so I just wanted to comment again on like the idea that the simulation and the aesthetic drives, at least drove me to some new playing style that I, I wasn't expecting, I guess. And there's a lot of different play styles. I mean, even even if we just, so, there, so there's two main sort of classes, I guess. And you're like, well, this game is only two classes, but like there's sort of a lot more to it than that, right? Because you have the true kin, which are the sort of pure humans, which are relatively rare in this world, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's the, the mutants, right? Which is most people. And But the sort of things you can get as both the true kin and the yeah. mutants can drive you to drastically different things. Especially because with either one, that sort of ch can change over the course of the game. Yeah. Um, like you can play as a, like a six-armed you could wield six pistols at once in this game if you happen to have six arms right or you could do what i did one game and do like a two-handed weapon and two shields and have that be your way you put in your forearms <laughs> yeah or you can have um freaking mental laser beam powers yeah and, and that's just in the mutations, right? And then with the other side, you have like it's it, they sort of fill the same roles, but you can augment yourself with like cybernetics. Yeah. Um, well, and also, so I know Olivia, you and I just keep going back and forth on this. Other people should jump in if they <laughs> yeah, want please. to. Please. Uh, <laughs> I'm enjoying this. But, um, I mean, so one of the revelations to me of this game, um, and I think something that many other games I would invite them to experiment with is the sort of radical democratization of w what and who you can interact with. Like, so like the fact that like for a while I didn't realize that I could interact with anything neutral. Like, yep. so I was, I was wandering along and I'm like, I see this thing that's like a bloated leech and I'm like, oh my God, like what the hell is that? <laughs> and I was expecting it to attack me and I was like, wait, it's not attacking me. And then I realized I could actually talk to it. And I was like, oh, and so the thing is that like, there's a really specific and, you know, I mean, we could talk about the politics of this, but there's a really specific hierarchy in most fantasy and science fiction games about what counts as you know human for lack of a better term and what doesn't and this game i think in in almost like a socialist way radically changes that and yeah. says like look anything has a chance to be like you know your peer essentially and and um, <laughs> which makes it especially is... it's especially like given the kind of politics around the game in the last couple of months um makes that even more interesting but yeah like just the fact that if if you're friends with baboons, like and just leading your enemies into the giant troop of baboons, like yeah, you know what I mean. It's the fact that it's it's they're sort of treated like in the first couple times you play the game, baboons are sort of like mid level, like they tend to be like a wall pretty early on enemies because yeah. they swarmy and they're really hard to catch up with and yep annoying. They um, throw stones. But the fact that literally every enemy, literally every enemy in the game, <laughs> you can make non-hostile to you in yeah. some way. It's possible. 
Um, and there's lots of different ways to do it because like we said, the faction interactions with like killing things that they hate, right. will make them like you yep. or being friends with people that they like will really make them like you. And that goes even, you know, as deep as like the bosses in the game. Yep. Like I recently, I went through the dungeon. There's the dungeon that's after, I don't even know what level you're supposed to do it at now. It, it's after the great gate. There's this dungeon called Golgotha. Yeah. Which is horrible. It's a horrible, horrible dungeon. <laughs> it's really hard. It's the trash compactor. Of, it's of and the you're game. almost almost guaranteed to have at least at least one disease when you come out of it. But in in trying to prep for it, because I really didn't want to lose my character that I was at that level with, I like read about the the boss at the bottom. And yeah, like it's possible that you can just raise if you raise your your faction like um, affiliation with mollusks. <laughs> he won't be hostile to you and it's like okay ha- mollusks <laughs> like the fact that mollusks yep. is a faction like one of like 70 factions or yes. something well <laughs> what's even better is there's there are there are also non-shelled crustaceans so yes. you can <laughs> there are the shelled crustaceans and then the non-shelled crustaceans and i learned this the hard way because i was trying to figure out how i could get there, there are, you guys probably have maybe seen the Dawn Glider, which is like a flying yeah. lizard. So you have to, I thought you could just get friends with birds and you would get it, but no, you have to become friends with birds and non-shelled um, crustaceans <laughs> because it's crustaceans apparently- Crustaceans or like reptiles? A reptile, non-shelled sorry, reptiles. non-shelled reptiles, sorry, yeah. As opposed um, to shelled reptiles. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Which there, yeah, definitely are both of them. Um, One of the things that jumped out to me, the first interaction that I had in the game was with a character who was a gardener. And when I shared water with him, my reputation with flowers went down. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, that is delightful. (laughs) And honestly, so the thing, the thing I actually love about that, Robbie, is it highlights, because I'm pretty sure that that's random. Like, I I don't know, this might not be true, but I don't know that there's anything about him being a farmer that made flowers not like him. It might have just been a really incredible coincidence. (laughs) So good, though. Yeah. in, In that respect, some of the the stories that get played out through the randomness reminds me a little bit of, it ends up being a little like uh, Adventure Time World, where yep. all of these random ideas play together to make something that's not random, you know, that something that, that yeah. makes sense within its own logic. And, and I like that they're, they're using random generation to, uh, to, to, to build that kind of, uh, a coherent little world within itself. That's yeah. very interesting to me. And this game really has a sense of the fact that the world exists without you. And I love that about mm. it. Like yeah. oh, the yeah. fact that like clearly, if you look at a boss, it'll say this boss is hated by this village because he poisoned their water. But this <laughs> boss is loved by this, by unshelled reptiles because he granted them this technology or something. Right. Yeah. And then, and it's and it's enough to the point to where if if you somehow manage to lead him to that village, like they will fight each other and not care about you. Like, yep. you know, the fact that all these relationships exist, like, and they suggest this history. And I and I honestly feel like history. And so I, I said one word to describe the atmosphere is what did I say? Unsettling, uneasy. Um, I, I I feel like if I was going to say the game is about one thing, I would say it is about history. Mm-hmm. and about how like 
sort of navigating this sort of obscured history, right? And I feel like that's the case. I feel like every aspect of the game almost is, is generated with that in mind, right? These relationships that are pre-existing and that you have a chance to sort of interact with. Yeah. The, the, the sort of the overarching theme of like the sultans and, and the way that they affected the world and how that's clearly a thing that isn't a thing anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And how, but you're having to navigate this world that is sort of left over from this something that meant a lot to a lot of people that isn't around anymore. Mm. Um, right, which is a generally a really powerful narrative tool, right? If you think yeah. about like the things that make the best kind of epics um, really good world building, but world building that gives you a sense of like a really long past. Um, and uh, I mean, the Lord of the Rings comes to mind, right? Like, so you've got the things that are happening in the, in the Lord of the Rings, but all around them are the, like the dead memories of 10,000, 20,000 years past, um, you know, and what happened. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that is very cool. Um, do you, do you think that all this history and all like the lore of the game, do you think you'd experience more and retain or experience more and retain as much if the game were easier? Or do you think it feels more meaningful because all of the tidbits are so hard won? That's actually a really interesting question. Um, I don't know. I, I will say, I feel like if it was easier, like, so so the game, describing it in terms of easy and hard is tricky to me because, like, so a lot of the game is easy for me now because I'm level 20 and basically anything on the surface, you know. Um, it, but, you know, in order to experience more things, I have to go into the more dangerous areas. And there's an interesting sort of sense of, like, why it's valuable, um, to to have gotten these pieces of history is probably because it's dangerous and scary to try and and because literally every time I do something in the game that I haven't done before, like go to a new region or I see an enemy and I don't recognize it, uh, it's scary. It's like yeah. I don't. I'm so scared to try and fight this thing yeah. because I have no like. Yeah, it says they are average in difficulty. That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean they're not gonna. <laughs> Yeah. I've been killed so many times by enemies that are listed as average. Um, but I think my short answer is I, I don't think I don't know that it would diminish it in like strictly speaking, but I do feel like it makes me feel like the part the things I found are more like I feel like somebody exploring the world and tr- and like finding this really cool scroll that no one's ever read before or that all these people have read. But like, no one has really stopped to pay attention to yeah. it. It definitely has that sort of feel to it. Well, to me too, it's a little bit like I just watched. Uh, has anybody seen the movie Samsara? It's kind of a weird documentary. Anyway, no, doesn't matter. I have so, heard of it though. Okay. Well, so one of the things I highlight in that film, which I I, I think I had heard about, is these these sand drawings that these Himalayan monks do where they like, it's a kind of, it's, it feels very Buddhist to me. Like, so they spend, you know, hours and hours and hours doing these really careful sand, like beautiful murals out of sand. And they, they make them, you know, it might take them a hundred hours to make one. And it's, you look at it and it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And then they gather up all the sand, like 
these like they just scoop it up off of the top of it and pour it back into the like the sand container. So it, it's it's like this idea that the thing that mattered was not the thing they made, but the process of making it, which I know seems like kind of trite, but but for me, there's a feel of in this game of that same idea, right? That it's in a way like the fact that the world is going to be gone after my character dies makes it that much more interesting that my character's in it, right? Um, and so whatever I'm holding onto and being like, oh, the next time I play, I hope there's another one of these is like, it's like that kind of, it's it's like the opposite of Buddhism, right? It's like, oh, I'm trying to hold on to the thing that I'm that that's ephemeral, if that makes any sense. And so I, yeah. I kind of like that that it explores that kind of um, almost like a spiritual idea that you know this world that got just created for your playthrough is it? Like it's it's never coming back. Whatever you experience here is is going to be here, but it's not going to be anywhere else. Like I I kind of like that that's true. Um, anyway. No, I mean, it's definitely a very roguelike thing, right? I mean, because really, like, that's technically true of every roguelike. Right? Yeah, but Everyone. here it feels so much more like that to me. It's, it feels detail. more like they were considerate about that in how they designed the game. Yeah. Who I, knew that roguelike games were a metaphor for Buddhism, enlightenment, <laughs> and reaching nirvana? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's just play life after life after life and yeah. tanner maybe this comes all the way back to your thing about the the barrier to entry <laughs> right. maybe the barrier to entry is us not the game one <laughs> from a realism perspective to entry of life is just it is unreasonable <laughs> anything for like the first two years so in, in that sense, it's, it's moving along pretty well. <laughs> but it is true, like, like part of me just wants to hear more stories from people about what happened in your games. Because like the one I've been dying to tell is that I came upon a library. Like, has and this was after, um, I know Olivia knows this, but if, if not everybody knows, like there's a character later in the game who will buy books from you for experience points. So you get... Mm you basically get massive amounts of experience points if you have a lot of books. And I had already been to that character and I was like, wow, I hope I find some more books. And I come across this screen and there's an entire library. And so I'm just like dropping everything else I have and piling my inventory full of books. And I, I got like a hundred books from this one screen basically and took them back and leveled up from like level 18 to like level 20 just on giving books to the, the character who took them. And it was like so satisfying. <laughs> like, I really wanted to tell you guys cause it was like this moment. And, you know, anyway, I just, I wanna hear other stories like that if, if people are interested in telling them cause they're, that's to me the real joy of, a, of this kind of game is, is that those little unexpected narratives that, that create something. I don't oh, I think had, I, I have any of those because I, oh. I oh. died so frequently <laughs> that I didn't get far enough to have a deep, the deeper narratives. Oh. Mine were um, somewhat superficial. On not my, my current playthrough, but my last one, I had my companion die by like literally diving in front of a bullet for me. Oh. Like there was a turret around a corner and then he just you know, like runs in front and just runs towards the turret oh. and just dies and gave I me enough time to get behind the cover. I saw that in the in the uh, game cast that you did. Oh. Yes. I was there. I was he there was for there. that moment. 
he was there he's hot yeah it was very sad i i mm. yeah it was like the first companion i ever got because i like was just figuring out that mechanic yeah my um, first companion died recently too the bird i told you about yeah she yeah. died in a with some lampreys they cornered us and Oh. I couldn't. I couldn't get her out. She had, wouldn't come with me. I yeah. like you can't make them go with you. you. So she, she kept fighting, and then I, I ran and she's I, like, "Go!" I'll I got buy this. Time. There was some an, an announcement. <laughs> no, Elliot was more like "Kaka." <laughs> <laughs> that was her name. Her name was Ka Kaka, which I thought because <laughs> she was a a, a glow crow. And so I guess they name themselves with, you know, caw sounds. The sounds that they can make. <laughs> yep. That makes sense. Yep. <laughs> but she, she was a, a, a legendary, um, which I guess most companions are, right? Like you run into a, a, the purpley ones. and Yeah. Um, but it was such a treat. And then she died in a, in a lamprey death. <laughs> Another one I had is I, I, so I had a quest from, I randomly found a village that was populated like entirely by like sentient. It was like, a, well, well, there's like a three parts to the story, but the, the most interesting <laughs> and sad part is that, so it was like a town populated by like sentient, it was like turtles or something. Like they were all turtles. Oh. And I talked to them and they were like, oh, we need you to go on this quest, right? So we're going to, we, we need to get this item that this other village stole from us. So go to this other village and take it back. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was like a quest like that. And I was like, okay. And I went over to that other village and or I was going towards it. There was like something, I was like walking like from a nearby area or something. Like I didn't go straight there. Um, and I saw like a chest as you do while you're exploring in this game. And I went to go open the chest and it said, this chest belongs to somebody. Would you, do you still want to open it? And I'm like, who? Like I looked around, I didn't see anybody. There was like just some random enemies flying around. And I opened the chest. I took the stuff. Cause it was just like, it was, it was like some arrows or something. And then it turns out that the owner of the chest was this little, what are they called? The like flies. Okay. I don't know what they're called like the dragonflies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was this dragonfly that was sentient and it had been floating nearby. And then I was like, okay, that was weird. Uh, and then I walked into the town and it turned out the whole town is like sentient dragonfly. Uh. So it was just like some random guy who was just like, he was like out, you know, collect, you know harvesting his crops or whatever. And uh. I was just like, oh, it's just a dragonfly. And and ladies and gentlemen of the, of the listening audience, <laughs> if you're just joining us, we're describing the dreams we had last night. <laughs> right. Uh. Yeah. That's the sort of thing that this game. It's, yes. it's all very. Uh, and. and uh, Again, I mean, I love that that from when pulling from that random set, you get these really neat uh, narratives Murders. that happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that 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 are dream. In a way, they're very dreamlike. Yeah, um, and, uh -huh. and I, I think that's really cool. Totally, I do agree with Robbie that I do feel like it walks that fine line between feeling like OMG, so random. And wow, that was really interesting and unexpected. You know? <laughs> right. well, I, mean, and... I, th I think anytime that you get a random generator of this, with this much uh, fine tuning to it, you get a lot of that sort of profound, uh, it's kind of like profound bullshit, right? Strangeness. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I th think of Inspirobot, for example, and, and the, the crazy, strange, but weirdly accurate sometimes uh, stuff you get from that um, or, or random haiku generators that were the thing 20 some, some odd years ago online. 
um, you get some beautiful poetry out of these things. Uh, and you don't even need a hundred monkeys with typewriters. You just, you know, you, you plug some of this stuff in and, and you've got, you've got, uh, this unfolding art that I think is, is, uh, very novel, very interesting. Yes. So, um, I feel like maybe it's time to gather some final thoughts. Does that sound okay? Yeah. All right. Who wants to go first? I think I've talked enough this episode. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Brad? Give us your uh, final thoughts. I will, I will go first. Um, so uh, I, I think this is a game that I, in a perfect world, this would be a game that I didn't have any other games to play and nothing else to do. And I would deep dive into this game and it would become something truly epic in all of the deep, deep dives that I took into it. Um, as it is, though, as much as I love the ideas and the way that they did these things, for the most part, um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of uh, work to dig into the depth that I think uh, Olivia and Joe in particular did. And I appreciate that you did that. I don't know that I have it in me right now to to dig that deeply. I wish I wish that I you know that in, in in some universe uh, I have a lot more free time to focus on something like that on my hands. And not to say that you guys have you know a ton of free time. Uh, not to say that you're not busy, but uh, <laughs> it's just it it. it takes more than I can than I can give it right now but I think it was it was beautiful and smart and well done in, in what it's doing uh, tutorials lack of tutorial notwithstanding fair enough how about I oh Robbie okay <laughs> um, I I think the one thing I guess I didn't highlight a lot is that I, I think it's it's pretty obvious that the developers, um, they really care about this game. And um, it really shows in the work that they do. Like they're they're skilled in what they're doing um, because I, I think that it is very easy to do something like this and have it just be a bunch of random things that happened. But somehow this game doesn't necessarily feel too crazy. Like, yes, it feels like a, like a random fever dream that you had, but it doesn't feel like, um, you know, like a, like you're just, it doesn't feel like it's just a random word generator generating a story. It feels just a little bit more careful than that. And I do yeah. appreciate it uh, for that. And I think the, the difficulty um, while not particularly my uh, sort of thing, I think it's sort of the right move for the game that they're making. And I think that it sort of adds add sort of value to the to the experience or like the things that you manage to find. Definitely. So, yeah. Tanner? <laughs> Are you there? I'm here. Next up we have <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I think I I stand by my uh, my issues with the the difficulty out of the gate. Um, in contrast to the elements of the narrative that are procedurally generated, I, I don't think they complement each other most of the time. I think there's definitely 
uh, a really valid perspective on on that creating its own kind of value in the experience for those stories. But I don't know if I'm a hundred percent. That's like the best way for me to experience procedural generation. Uh, but in contrast, I think that the way it uses procedural generation mechanically um, and in sort of setting up those relationships between different factions in the world um, and kind of how those uh, feed into the, the mechanics that start to play out um, is, is something I would like to see more of in general with procedural generation, right? Like there are lots of games that use it to create literal like universe scale experiences. Uh, but a lot of times while those can create some really interesting and unique and like a lot of variety, uh, I, I feel like it doesn't necessarily have a huge impact on the gameplay itself. So to me, that's uh, one of the most interesting takeaways uh, as a designer um, from Caves of Cut for me personally. Nice. Um, all right, so I'll go and then Olivia, you're gonna go last, right? Sure. Okay, I think that sounds right. Um, you know, cause you've got your announcement. Um, the, the announcement. <laughs> so Tanner, you made me think of No Man's Sky when you were talking about universe scale. Um, I did, uh, the only one that does that now. But, uh, <laughs> which I enjoy No Man's Sky a, a lot, um, yeah. but uh, I don't find the procedural generation to be core to that experience. Yeah, I didn't it's funny. No, that's okay. I was just going to say it's funny because it brings up um, the the hundred bowls of oatmeal problem, right? Which we haven't talked about much, which is that, you know, you can procedurally generate a hundred bowls of oatmeal, but if they all look like bowls of oatmeal, how exciting really is that, right? And so um, yeah. we can, you know, kind of keep coming back to that. Um, but yeah, I so... Exist with 500 designed planets in No Man's Sky and it would feel, you know virtually the same in terms yeah. of my gameplay experience. And I would say probably for 90% of people who ever play it. But, yep. Sorry, go ahead. No, exactly. I, I think we're totally on the same page. Um, so I, I actually, I think this game um, is a, is a revelation in at least one sense, which is that it, for me is it's, it's a game that's experimenting with procedural generation and simulation in ways that, there's no other game that I can think of that does. Um, and so for me, that's really great because we need games out on the edge exploring these things so that they push the main kind of center of gaming uh, in the right direction. And so I, I really think it's awesome that they're doing that. Um, you know, despite some challenges to the actual gameplay and kind of onboarding in the game, um, I'm just really excited by what they're doing and how it, you know, creates potential in the future uh, for, for narrative. Um, I actually think it'd be cool if we took, um, you know, something like Galactic Scoundrels and made a made this kind of thing for that, because um, I would love a game like this that was set in like, you know, the rim of the, you know, at the edge of the Empire. Like for me, yeah. that would be such a cool thing to play. Very <laughs> like, cool. You know. Anyway, so that's my final thoughts, and with that, I will pass on to Olivia. Sure. Um... I still, I feel like I talked too much this episode, but um, briefly, <laughs> um, I love this game. I love the world. I 
I've always it's one of those games that I always wanted to want to get into. Does that make sense? Like, <laughs> like I, I always wanted to sit down and actually get to where I felt like I wasn't going to die in the first 10 minutes and I could actually see some of the stuff that I knew was out there. Um, so I'm really glad you picked it this month, Joe. It gave me a reason to just, just, just do that, to just read about it and to get into it and to, you know, actually think about it a little bit more deeply. Um, nice. So... Yeah, and literally, I feel like I've experienced like five percent of like the game, like of, of my generated game, like yeah. or less, you know. So, um, but yeah, no, it's um, and it's also a really excellent example of that sort of careful procedural generation. It's meaningful in ways that aren't just mechanical, and I love that about it. Um, and yeah, that's it. That's my final thoughts. Um. So I guess now we need to talk about <laughs> next month. Um, I guess this month, um, uh, <laughs> which is March. It will be our third. I'm trying to just place myself temporarily. Bear with me for a minute. Um, the third game of the season is going to be. No drum roll. Brad, you got oh, it. I'll relay a drum roll. There you go. Okay. There you go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's as good so, as I can do a short notice. That's axe, pretty good. That's pretty axe good. Axe roll. Yeah, axe roll. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're going to be playing Valheim, which is, if 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 you're at, at, at all keep up with games lately, you probably have seen people talk about it because it sort of inexplicably blew up huge the last couple of weeks um so it's developed by iron gate ab and published by coffee stain studios um and hopefully um we can sit down and maybe play it together some with all five of us which would be cool because i don't know that we've ever done that with any of our games we've talked about it and we've a few of us have gotten together and played some of them like i think hover and i think did we try kingdoms reborn eso yeah yeah of course eso um so um and yeah and it's a, a survival crafting game that seems pretty cool and i'm excited to play it i'm more. looking at it on <laughs> right now while we're talking and it looks really really awesome i can't wait to play with you guys what are y'all Apparently. doing after the what are you doing after the after the podcast uh probably playing ball high, not even joking. perfect uh... <laughs> well Thanks everyone for joining us. Oh yeah, there's oh yeah. So yeah. Brad, save us. Get off get off Valheim. We've right, right, finished right. Sorry, the I'm launching it. It's it's launching. You gotta stop it before it's too late. Brad, wrap us, take us out, Brad. Take us out. Um I, so the music playing underneath us now is uh, Plain Loafer by Kevin McLeod. He's got great stuff out on the internet. Um, as always, if you played along with us this month, um, playing um, Caves of Could, Could, Cud, Cood. Um, let us know on our Facebook page or on Twitter or anywhere on, or join us on Discord and uh, talk to us there about what you thought about the game and learn about some of the other games that we're doing here at Little Rock Games, um, like uh, To the Rescue and some other things that we're working on. Uh, join our community. It's a great growing community of, of wonderful people, and we're having a lot of fun with it on, on Discord these days. Um, and I believe I've covered everything. Uh, and with that, we'll talk to you next month. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.